You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 183, Goals versus Systems, Part 2. Last week, we started off in part one talking about the importance of setting goals, both as individuals and in our organizations. Um, Sometimes we don't realize the the importance of organizational or institutional goal setting. And we talked about how often, just by putting a deadline on something, we put a sense of urgency inside of ourselves as well as those who might work for us. And even if this is an artificial date, it still gives us something to work for. So that's just one example. But today I'm going to talk about the importance of having the right systems in place. Goal setting, we never get away from it. It's something we should be doing regularly. Setting short-term goals, mid-range goals, and even long-term goals. But how do systems fit into this? Um, there's a pastor in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. He's got one of the largest churches in America. and He's known not just as a pastor, but also as a leadership consultant and coach. And, and you know, obviously, if you've built something that big, he knows something about leadership. And he says that our results are directly related to our systems. Now, that's a powerful statement. Our results are directly related to our systems. When we start talking about systems or processes, you can use that word as well, it's interchangeable, what we're doing is we're talking about organizational habits. If we're talking about setting up systems for for our business, for our church, um, we're talking about creating organizational habits where you do the same things over and over again. Because if you've got a business and you're constantly changing how you do things, It's going to leave your employees confused as well as your customers. Now, that's not to say we don't revise, we don't upgrade, we don't update. Of course we do. But if we're doing it every week, then we're going to run into some problems. So organizational habits and systems. Um, How are our systems working? And I want to give a few examples. Now, I'm going to give this primarily in the context of a church But many of these are also applicable for your your organization or your business. And in many cases, when we start talking about systems, um, we can even think in creating systems in our own personal lives, and I'll talk about that later. But one often overlooked system or process in any church is how do we track our visitors and our new converts? If you're a part of a church that has regularly, um, you have visitors coming in, how do you track and how do you follow up with those people? Let's just assume you're in a church of uh, 200, 300 people 
and you have maybe five or ten visitors come every week. How do you track those five to ten people? Um, I actually recommend creating a system in your database where you can even automate it. Um, I've, I've been a part of churches where um, the person would receive an email and would receive a phone call. Okay, good. Um, or they might receive an actual letter in the mail and a phone call. But whatever it is, automate it and follow up with those people as soon as possible. Because the sooner that they're contacted, the better. Because think about this. If somebody visits your church because they're looking for a new church, the chances are that they're not, you're not, yours is not the only church they're visiting. So what is it that's going to make them come back? Obviously, it's giving them a great experience. But they might go to two or three churches and have a great experience. But when you contact them within two days and they get an email or they get a phone call from a friendly person that's thanking them for coming and offering to pray with them on the phone or whatever else you might want to offer, that is going to set you apart from those others. So the first contact should be within two days and there should be preferably two contacts, at least an email and a phone call. But you know, in, in this day and age, sending out um, actual letters is almost unheard of. But again, that might be what sets you apart because who gets an actual letter that's addressed to them? And then when they open it up, it says, Dear John or Dear Samantha or whatever. But it's personalized. So something to think about. And whether it's in a letter or in an email, and it's actually a little bit easier in an email to do this, Something that you can do is ask them in the email, what can we pray for you about? Now, this is important because now they're, if they have a prayer request, they're going to respond to your email and you've just created a little bit of a connection. And obviously, if they send you a prayer request, pray about it. If you have staff prayer, pray about it and then send an email back and say, I just wanted to let you know we prayed for your mother's surgery, we prayed for your marriage, or whatever they ask to pray for. So you're creating a point of contact, you're creating connection. Um, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, who pastors one of the largest churches in America, says people aren't looking for a friendly church, they're looking for friends. And so by setting up a, a great follow-up system, a great process, you're helping people find friends. Now, let's look at this for your business. How well do you follow up with your customers? If you've got a service-related business and you've just um, serviced somebody's computer or you've serviced their air conditioner or whatever the, whatever the, the, the job is that you do, do you follow up with those customers three, four weeks later and ask them how everything's going? If you want to set yourself apart from the other guys, create a system whereby every customer is recontacted. It might be an email, it might be a text, uh, or a phone call, but just a simple contact where you say, hey, listen, you know, we serviced your air conditioner, or we fixed your computer, or we worked on your car, or we, we did whatever. How's everything going? It doesn't have to be a long conversation, but again, if you want to set yourself apart, this is a great system set up. And you say, well, you know, I've got so many customers. Then create a database. 
get somebody to help you, create a database, and, and, and even some of these things you can automate. I mean, we have a system in our church that um, we follow up with new converts. They get um, four emails and two phone calls over a period of a month. If they've come in and they've said, I want to accept Christ as my Savior, or they're rededicating their lives, um, it, and it's automated. I, I actually do that. I set it up where the, the emails are automated, and, and, and they get it over a period of a month. But it's a way to stay in touch. Very important system. Also in church life, another very, very important system is your children's ministry. What kind of children's ministry do you have? I was speaking at a church last year, and the as a smaller church, and the pastor was showing me around, and you know, and asked us, so you know, where do the kids meet? And he said, oh, you know, we don't have that many kids, and he showed me they just kind of had a little corner of a of a, of a classroom, and it, it it was terrible. I mean, it was really terrible. And and sure, they only had a handful of kids, but those handful of kids were having a terrible experience. Because it was just, you know, being forced to sit in, you know, like school desk and um, hear a lesson by somebody. And there was no interaction. There was no play. It was just, it was terrible. And I thought, what are they going to do when visitors come in? Um, because what's going to happen is visitors are going to come in. And if there's no place for their children, uh, they're not going to come back. They're going to keep church shopping. So what kind of system, what kind of ministry, what kind of process do you have set up so that the children come in and have a great time? Um, and this is not just babysitting. This is actually training and equipping and, and blessing the children so that they can grow up and um, experience God for themselves. But also within the children's ministry, how safe is it? Is it secure? Is there a way that the children are checked in and the, 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 the parents receive a tag or um, something where they have to come and, and present that tag to pick their child back up after it's over. Um, and again, in smaller churches, we may not think about this, but as we get bigger, this is a very, very important process to have in place. Another system that's very important is our leadership development system. What do you have in place in your church to help develop more leaders? See, this is not just the pastor's job. This is something that we constantly have to uh, be pushing down to lower levels. Um, I've got a number of friends that were in the Marine Corps. And when you talk to them, they're very quick to tell you that the Marine Corps is one of the premier leadership development organizations in the entire world. And they will give you examples of young 20, 19 or 20-year-old 20 corporals who are leading a squad, making international, making decisions that have international ramifications every day of the week. Um, I've talked to, to young men who said, yeah, when I was a corporal, I had millions of dollars worth of equipment that I was responsible for, as well as a group of men and women. Why do they do that? Well, from a very... Uh, at the very beginning, they start pushing the decision-making process down to lower levels. But often in church, we're scared to do that because we're scared somebody's going to do the wrong thing. Or we like being the one to make every decision. Terrible mistake. We have to be developing leaders. And what is your process for developing more leaders? We're, we're actually in the process of implementing something in our church now called a leadership pipeline where we develop leaders. We, 
We actually, in small small groups, teach people how to lead, give them tools, not just expect them to watch us and learn, but to actually give them tools on what it means to lead. We want to uh, teach people how to lead, but we we also don't want to just get into the habit of creating more followers because I think that's the easy trap to fall into is I'm the leader and I need you to follow me. Again, terrible decision. Your church will never grow. Your organization will never grow with this kind of thinking. I don't want to create followers. I want to create leaders. And not only do I want to create leaders, but I want to create leaders who know how to create more leaders. Because if I do that, I'm creating a process of multiplication that's going to set my church up for long-term growth. This is such an important system. And what tends to happen is we think, well, you know, people will just get it. They'll watch me and they'll just get it. No, 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 no. There will be a few that will. There are always those overachievers that pick it up. But in reality, most of us need to be taught. Most of us need to have somebody show us how to lead Show us what things are important, and we do that by creating a process for developing more leaders. So I encourage you to work through this. Now, on the corporate level, this is something that most businesses and organizations are also woefully inadequate at. When I first started as a police officer, it was really um, when somebody got promoted they pretty much gave you, if you got promoted to sergeant, they gave you your stripes and your new badge and said, go out and lead. And, you know, to their credit, most most of the people did and figured it out. But there was also a pretty substantial learning curve for a lot of people as well. And so, fortunately, um, before I retired, we created a system where um, new supervisors were, were given actual training. And it was usually given before they actually became a supervisor. When somebody became a, a corporal, which had some supervisory um, uh, capacity, but not uh, a full-time supervisor, they would be put through a three-week supervision school. I had the privilege of, of teaching some of that. And so they were actually taught and given tools on how to lead. And then, after they were actually promoted and made sergeant, they were closely monitored and coached as they were learning how to do it. And, and this the same thing took place at the rank of uh, lieutenant major. You, you had to go through a three-week management course. And so, um, you know, at least there's a process there for training. But most organizations have nothing. And so, you know, the sad thing is, is, you know, a vice president decides he wants to go somewhere else. Uh, a manager decides they want to quit. Um, a supervisor does something and gets fired. And now you're scrambling to find somebody to take their place. Um, you should have a list of potential leadership candidates that you're constantly um, investing, excuse me, investing in. Um, send them to some classes. Send them to some courses. Give them some training. Bring somebody in to do a leadership course or a, a management or supervision course inside your company because it's going to pay incredible benefits. People appreciate when the company invests in them. And when you, when you start investing in your people and developing leaders, it's going to go so far into helping your company. And then also, 
want to touch on a system for uh, developing volunteers. And this is very similar to developing leaders. But, you know, as a, as a church, as a nonprofit organization, uh, so many of the people that we work with are volunteers. Most, most churches have very small paid staffs and require uh, people serving and volunteering. I don't get paid at my church. I'm part of the pastoral team and have a number of different responsibilities, but I don't get paid. I serve as a volunteer. And so how can we recruit and train volunteers? Um, you know, what we tend to do is, you know, on Sunday morning, the pastor will get up and say, hey, you know, we need some people to help us out in the kids' ministry, and we hope somebody volunteers. Hey, we need somebody to help us out in the parking lot ministry, and we hope people volunteer and jump in. But reality, it doesn't work that way. What typically works best is when a team leader, the park, if the parking lot needs help, if he recruits people, if the Children's ministry needs workers. It works best when somebody recruits them. And then they need to be trained. Um, You know, children's workers. You can't just take somebody and throw them in. I saw that done one time. Somebody volunteered to help with the kids, and they were new. This wasn't our church. This was another church. But somebody volunteered and said, well, you know, if you need workers, I'll help. But this person had never done children's ministry in their life, and they showed up on the Sunday morning. They were supposed to start, and the, the... uh, harried uh, um, Sunday school leader showed up, handed the my friend, the woman, a, a, a Sunday school book and said, okay, this is the curriculum. This is what I need you to teach. That's your classroom. And she went in there and it was, it was a classroom full of 10-year-old boys. And, you know, to her credit, she didn't quit after the first Sunday, but I, I don't know how she did it. It was, it was brutal. But, you know, what's so much better is when we bring people in we tell them what we're asking of them. We tell them what the commitment commitment is. We give them some training. We mentor them. We don't just throw them to the wolves. We let them assist a few times. And then we begin giving them responsibility and we begin helping them. It's so much better to do it that way. But we can talk about that or we can create a system. We can create a process that, that, that that's how we do it. And And when we're talking about volunteers. Another thing I think that's very important, and this is really for every position in your organization, is do you have job descriptions? So many organizations have zero written job descriptions. And so people get hired for a job and they're never really sure if they've done it right or if they've done it all or if they're, they're missing something. And then when somebody comes and says, hey, I need you to do this, um, you know, that's part of your responsibility. They had no idea it was part of their responsibility because there's no written job description. And this this carries really um, so much importance because if, you know, you're a, a supervisor or a manager and you're um, conducting a, a, a an annual performance evaluation for one of your employees or one of the people that reports to you in the church, how can you really evaluate their performance if you don't know what they're supposed to do or if they don't know what they're supposed to do. But if there's a written job description, you can really go through that with them and and evaluate their performance in each area. That's why it's so important that we have these. Um, And then, God forbid, but it it, it happens, if somebody has to be um, disciplined or even fired, what's your basis of doing that if you don't have a written job description? Um, how can you say, well, look, you're not meeting standards, you're not doing your job, and they say, well, 
how do you, what do you mean? I'm doing what you've told me to do. And so it just makes the, 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 the leadership's job so much easier when you've got a written job description that you can guide people with. It also gives you a tool to coach and mentor them. Um, if somebody is, 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 is trying but they're struggling a little bit, you can go through and say, okay, this is what I need you to do. And, you know, it's written here in your job description. And then you can coach them and mentor them and tell them what you need them to do and how you want them to do it. But also a job description, and especially for volunteers, adds weight to the job. If you're working in the cafe at church or if you're working in the kids' ministry at church or you're part of the um, security team at your church, and I give you a job description, I say, okay, these are our responsibilities. Read it, make sure you understand it, and then sign it. I'll give you a copy and I'll keep a copy. Wow, you've just added some weight to that position. This is not just, hey, show up when you can and help out. This is this is your, your, your job. This is what you're committing to, and I need you to read it and sign it. What you've just done is you've elevated that job, and you've just made it much more important, or at least made it seem much more important than it really is. So that's why it's so important. And, uh, and you know, this is something that every organization needs to develop. Well, there's a whole lot more systems we could talk about, but these give you an idea on uh, things that you can do to position yourself for growth. Um, A church that's only got 100 people is only going to have 100 people five or 10 years from now if they don't develop systems. A church that only has 500 people is only going to have 500 people five or 10 years from now if they don't develop systems. Because the systems, the processes that we develop, position us for additional growth. Uh, I mean, ask yourself right now, if you're a pastor or a leader in a church and, you know, an additional 300 people showed up Sunday, how would you deal with it? What would you do with them? And I'm not just talking about the physical size. I mean, it might be difficult cramming them into your present auditorium, but how would you administrate? How would you take care of them? How would you make sure that they were looked after? Is there a system in place where you could immediately pop out a few more connect groups because you've already got enough leaders and get a lot of those people into connect groups. So something to think about. So processes and systems, goals versus systems, how do they work together? Well, obviously goals are very important because they're the bridge that get us from where we're at to where we want to be. But at the same time, the the processes that we create um, they provide the, the guardrails. They provide the structure that are going to continue to take us down the road um, into the place where God has called us to go. Well, now it's your turn. I'd love to hear from you. What has been your experience in setting up systems or processes in your organization? I'd love to hear what you think. Go to davidspell.com. Make sure you... Uh, subscribe while you're there. Just drop your email address in. But while you're at davidspell.com, just leave me a question or comment in the comment section for today's post. And I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning has been brought to you by my book, New Testament Snapshots. New Testament Snapshots is a really interesting study on 12 of the lesser-known characters in the New Testament. These men and women um, are usually lurking in the background, and you may not have heard or 
um, read a lot about them, but they're there, I promise you. And, and what we're going to find is every picture tells a story. And even though these guys and girls might be hiding in the background of the picture, there is still a story for us. So check out New Testament Snapshots. There'll be a link in the show notes. Well, friends, until next time, this is David Spell encouraging you to keep setting goals and creating systems.